Hello and welcome to the Ministry of History podcast, a podcast that aims to take a look at some of history's lesser known characters and stories. Today, we're going to be doing something slightly different. I'm incredibly excited to say that today's episode is the first one I'm going to be recording with a guest. I'm going to be talking to a teacher, an author, and the writer of an excellent piece on my blog about the anti-slavery activist John Brown. All the way from Queens, New York, it's Donna Catapano. Donna is going to be joining me to discuss the article on the blog I just mentioned, her piece on John Brown. Brown was an anti-slavery campaigner in 19th century America. He was daring, unflinching, and of course, morally justified. He's a fascinating figure who I'm not sure my British or European listeners will know too much about, but it's not my place to reveal too much just yet. You'll have to wait for Donna to tell you about him. Of course, you may already know a little about him if you've checked out the blog, and I implore you to do so. It's the Ministry of History on Google, and it's one of the top results. What I also implore you to do is to leave a review for the podcast. If you have a spare moment, please leave a review. It really would help it to grow. Unless, for some reason, you would like to leave a bad review. In which case, ignore that, as you were. I might also be a little cheeky and point you towards my donation page on the Buy Me A Coffee website. Now, I don't have delusions of becoming fabulously wealthy by doing this blog and podcast, although that would be nice. But the equipment and the overheads cost money. And like anyone else, I need to pay for costs and make this little project of mine sustainable in the long term. Follow the Buy Me A Coffee link in the description of this podcast and donate whatever you feel like. It can be as big or as small of an amount as you like. Any donation you could make would be hugely appreciated. Finally, don't forget to follow me on Twitter. It's at Ministry History, all one word, with no of in the middle. You'll be the first to know about new blogs, new podcasts, and all the rest of it. But in the meantime, while you crack on with all of that, here's Donna Catapano talking about John Brown. Okay, we're now live. So we're here talking with Donna Catapano. Uh, She's joining us all the way from Queens, New York. Um, For those of you listening, uh, I mean, I guess you can guess that uh, we've had a bit of trouble with time differences and all that, uh, trying to set up this meeting. Uh, So um, if you're listening to this, just know that a lot of effort's gone into setting this meeting up. But um, anyway, for now, uh, Donna, welcome. How are you? Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Um, I'm doing pretty well. I'm just so happy to be on with you and I'm honored to be your your first official guest of uh, your podcast. So it's an honor to be here. 
Well, you'll you'll have a, a special place in ministry history, uh, history <laughs> as it were. Uh, yeah, look you at are that. you are in uh, in the hall of fame straight away. Um, <laughs> so, Donna, you're going to be talking about John Brown, uh, which is the subject of the article you wrote for the blog recently. Uh, incidentally, bit of a shameless self plug. If you haven't checked that out, then go to the blog straight away and read up. But um, for now, I guess we'll get straight to it. So, John Brown. For those of you who don't know the broad strokes, he's uh, he's an anti-slavery campaigner. He comes to prominence in the middle of the 19th century. But we'll start from his start. So where is John Brown born and when? And I guess more importantly, what kind of family is John Brown born into? So, um, yeah, that that's a great question. It's It's important to know where he came from, what kind of people he was surrounded by before he became such the anti-slaver that he was. So he was actually born in Connecticut um, in 1800. And the family that he was born into was actually really anti-slavery. So he was brought up completely surrounded by um, rhetoric that is going to be totally against slavery. And not only were, I feel like the Browns were very interesting because not only were they, very outspoken with it, but I believe they were the type of family to also be very active. And I think a lot of what Brown did as an older man and as he got older had to do with his upbringing. And it's just quite interesting how how we could compare him to a lot of other activists that we see in modern day. But for some reason uh, with Brown, it uh he's a little controversial so it's quite interesting that way well uh I, you know we'll we'll get on to that controversy um uh, as the podcast goes on but um we're still sort of at the start of his life he's born in 1800 but i guess we're still you know half a century away from the era in which he becomes famous but you're saying he's from a family with a quite a strong anti-slavery tradition um now i was taught a while ago that you should never assume things but Am I right in assuming that John Brown always has this anti-slavery fervor, even when he's a young man in young adulthood? Absolutely. So one of the things that, of course, we're going to mention, um, but his raid on Harpers Ferry, which is what he's most known for, wasn't his first go around with kind of using violence to show how he felt about slavery and how passionate he was about the abolition of such. So it, it, it took place many years where he used many actions, some violent, to show how he felt about that. And there were times where people got hurt. There were times where people got killed uh, at one of his, uh, one of his um, events that he was involved in. Well, well, like I said, we'll get on to uh, his later actions in later life uh, as the podcast goes on. But um, we don't have to spend too long on this, but am I right in thinking that he's married and has children? He did. He had uh, he had sons, one which was actually killed in one of the one of the raids. Um, two other of his sons were captured in uh, one of the major events that he's involved in called Bleeding Kansas, and we can talk about that later on. Um, But his sons were very much involved in his activism as well. 
Oh no, that, that that's interesting. It's a family business. He he got it from his parents, and uh, he passed it down to his sons. Um, exactly. We'll get on to uh, the sort of well, the events in his life, as it were, uh, in a minute. But just one last question, is just to sort of set a bit of background about him. I might be kind of weird uh, in sort of appreciating this side of history, but I like imagining historical figures as they were in the flesh, you know, imagining their physical appearance. Now, there are photos of John Brown. You can find them on the internet. Uh, again, another self-plug. You can find it on the blog. Um is he is he a striking man? Do people take notice of him? Um, but more than that, does the way he's portrayed in imagery, in drawings or photographs, give a hint as to the bias of the person who's commissioning that image? It's so interesting that you mention that because this is one of the things that I'm very passionate about with my students. Uh, I'm, I'm a teacher. I teach middle school right now, but I've also taught high school. And one of the things that I always mention with them, with John Brown, is showing them how he is portrayed in images and more so who is who the artist of that uh, image or painting is and how that artist might be biased against or biased towards John Brown. Now, the man himself... If you look up a picture of him, he is a very striking figure, I believe. He has uh, a very refined jawline. He he ha- always has this look of intent on his face almost. But the way he's portrayed in paintings really matters on who is drawing it and who you ask. Um, and it's just incredible because in some paintings he is shown to be this madman this fanatic, um, this just person of insanity. And then in other images, he is portrayed to be this, uh, this martyr, this very caring man, this very compassionate man. Um, again, it really just depends on, on the context that you're looking at it in. Yeah. And I guess, um, as students of history, we know that the truth is always never, well, it's never black and white. It's somewhere in between. John Brown is neither a saintly figure, nor is he uh, a maniac or a monster. He's, you know, somewhere in between. The other thing I uh, find interesting about his physical appearance is, um, well, I, d- I wonder if you agree. Do you think he looks slightly like Abraham Lincoln? Is is there a, a little um, similarity there? It's quite interesting you mention that because... I- Definitely, like I mentioned before, with the the jawline, he has like a very similar shaped face. Mm. Um, so it's it's very interesting, especially what especially the cause that he was fighting for. It's it's a little eerie in that way. Yeah, you can almost <laughs> see if if John Brown had a had that little uh, beard, may, maybe uh, maybe he would have looked like Abraham Lincoln. Um, and right. incidentally, we're going to talk a little about Abraham Lincoln uh, towards the end of this podcast. But anyway, so we've gone through John Brown's uh, background. Now, I wonder if you could set the scene for me in the 1850s, um, because, I mean, my understanding is that there is debate about whether slavery should be abolished altogether. But really, some of the fiercest debate at this time in America isn't so much about that, but it's more about whether slavery will be permitted in the new states as the United States expands westward. Um, So I guess my question is, firstly, am I right in sort of thinking that? And secondly, where are the proper flashpoints on these issues? Where where is it really heating up? 
I would say it is definitely heating up, like you said, in the new territories. And when those states are going to be admitted into the union, are they going to be admitted as a free state or a slave state? That's not to take away from the tension that has been between the already existing states in the union in the north and the south, because it is at this point almost completely separated. Um, Granted, uh, the first state to secede didn't formally secede until um, Abraham Lincoln was elected which would be a few years later. But um, that's not to say that sectionalism wasn't very much thriving at this point. The North was very much doing its own thing. The South was very much doing its own thing as well, just because of so many different lifestyles. Uh, Yes, slavery being the main one um, and whether or not it should be in existence. But where it um, hurt further were those territories in the West those territories as we kept expanding westward, um, what would they be admitted as? Now, one of the things that Mr. Brown got himself caught in was uh, a territory in Kansas. Kansas was a a territory, not a state at this point. And there was a lot of heat on whether or not Kansas should be admitted as a, um, a free or slave state. And that's where Bleeding Kansas took place, where Brown and his sons um, pretty much led attacks on pro-slavers in the Kansas territory. So yes, I believe that's correct. The The heat is definitely expanding West because the anti-slavers, the, the, the abolitionists are trying to at least contain it. They're not happy that it exists where it does, but they're trying to at least contain it. And now that it's spilling out into new areas as well, really just adds to the brink of civil war for the country. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned uh, Kansas because I remember doing a piece on um, Wild Bill Hickok, um, uh, who's, you know, for those of you who don't know, he's a, a Wild West hero. Um, he was also up to some sort of tricks in Kansas around this time uh, before he went off to uh, Colorado or wherever, wherever it was he ended up. Um, he was uh, also an anti-slavery uh, fighter, uh, Wild Bill Hickok, interestingly enough. And uh, he was up to all sorts of tricks in Kansas, along with John Brown. But um, anyway, so things are really tense in the 1850s. Um, but there's probably a temptation, uh, if you don't know so much about um, the tension about slavery in America at this time, there's probably a temptation to think that anti-slavery campaigners are peaceful or, you know, malevolent or whatever. Uh, I guess there is a degree of that. But John Brown He's not particularly peaceful, is he? Um, we'll get on to his most famous act in a minute, but uh, just give me an idea. What is John Brown up to in most of the, throughout most of the 1850s? Even the way Brown was a father um, can help you sit and really think what was on this guy's mind. Where did he fall? Um, because I neglected to mention before, yes, some of his sons always got involved in his former protests, but he actually bared 20 children, um, 11, yeah, 11, which survived childhood. Mm. Um, And the way I did some research and the way he even was a father, uh, I read a quote that he fathered with a rod in one hand and a Bible in the other, (laughs) pretty much saying like, He wanted his children to be very religious. He didn't allow them to see anybody on the Sabbath day. He was very strict. Um, 
And it makes you think because he's preaching religion a lot. He was a very religious guy, but he had no issues getting violent when it came to his cause. So where did that line stop for him? I want to know, like, and I think of this as a historian, as a teacher, how did he justify that in his head? Um, how did he say, okay, this is not okay, but this is. Um, so it just makes me think. Uh, so that that is what he is up to in the 1850s. Again, like I mentioned before, those little raids that he had been involved in, he was always getting involved. He always saw that um, abolition should be taken in a more aggressive stance rather than passive aggressive, um, like his counterparts, like the authors and the writers that had taken place at that time. But he was very much involved. And I just would love to know what went on <laughs> mentally for him. <laughs> I mean, it's so interesting you said that because I had no idea he was father to that many children. Um, mm. So uh, clearly he was up to a lot of things uh, throughout his life. But, um, <laughs> but um, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess the, your point about uh, he thinks his cause is so justified and obviously, you know, from our perspective, it totally is justified. But um, it just goes to show it doesn't have to be anti-slavery cause People can use any cause to uh, justify some pretty uh, violent actions. But, Very um, true. Anyway, uh, so John Brown, he's, well, he's a violent man, uh, frankly. Um, but um, is he well known in America at this time? Um, and if he is well known, what do people think of him? Is he popular or is he feared or, or what? There had been headlines about this man for years leading up to the raid on Harper's Ferry. Um, and a lot of opinions, uh, and again, like I said before, it depends on who you asked. Now, in the South, he was definitely a manic, crazy, um, out-of-control man because you have to think of the demographic in the South at this point and the lifestyle of people in the South, um, whereas, which is where a majority of slavery took place. Uh, and in the North for a lot of the time, he was seen as this great guy, this brave guy who, um, like you said, was justified in doing everything he was doing, that he wanted these, uh, these pro-slavers to be brought to justice in one way or another. And he had this, this, um, this any means necessary idea, kind of like Malcolm X in the 1960s, yeah. only this was taking place in the, in the 1800s. But he also had that same idea of, we need to get this done by any means necessary because it's wrong. And it's just, it's interesting in that way how it was so frowned upon then and we barely hear about it, about him now. Um, but for other people, for other activists, it, um, sometimes it's, it is accepted. Well, there's that phrase. I mean, uh, one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. So, um, absolutely, uh, I guess, so guess it depends uh, on what side you stood. Uh, like you said, but just another question I've just sort of thought of: um, Does John Brown is he aware that he's sort of known throughout the country, and does he exploit? You're talking about newspaper headlines and things like that. Does he exploit this, you know, relatively new uh, medium, or? Or is he just sort of, ah, well, the headlines will write themselves. I'm just going to crack on with my uh, activities. I, I don't think he was, this is an opinion. I don't think he was any concerned with what, what the headlines were saying. Uh, I think he was going to do what he wanted to do. He wanted 
to get people on his cause. He wanted to get slaves on his cause. He wanted to, he wanted them to rebel pretty much. He felt like they needed to rebel because nothing else was working. He's thinking, yes, the books are great. The writings are great, but it's not working. Um, he felt he needed to take a more active approach and he was going to do anything he could to get people on his side to do that. So as far as the newspaper headlines, I don't, I don't know if he paid, even paid any mind to them. Maybe he enjoyed them. Um, but it's just, it's interesting to think about that question. Well, I, I don't think it's difficult to imagine that he reveled in his notoriety. Um, but, uh, yeah, he seems, well, from what you're saying, he seems like the type of man who just cracked on with what he thought was right and didn't much care for the, um, for exploiting the media as it were. But now we're going to get to the climax, as it were, of uh, John Brown's life. Donna, explain to us the events of the 15th of October, 1859. Of course. So this is absolutely what he's most known for. When teachers go over the Civil War unit, some of them don't even get to John Brown. Um, they, They do Frederick Douglass. They do Harriet Tubman. They do Sojourner Truth, Harry Beecher Stowe. They never get to John Brown. Um, but for the teachers that do, like myself, and I would love to spread the word on on teaching and talking about John Brown, um, for the teachers that do, the, the thing they focus on is the raid on Harper's Ferry, uh, which is uh, in the current city of Virginia. I mean, state of Virginia. So um, on the 15th of October, his, his goal was to lead a raid on a federal arsenal. So he wanted to round up uh, enslaved persons and he wanted to take them and pretty much say, let's raid on this federal arsenal, steal the arms. And his goal was to pretty much march down south along the Appalachians and get more people to join his cause. That was his goal. So he did not mind that he was supplying or that people would be supplied with guns and arms because what does that tell you? Does that tell you, well, if we need to fire, then we fire. Mm -hmm. Um, If you need to either defend yourself or be on the offensive, you are justified in doing that. Um, So that's where, when we get to his controversy and his legacy, that's where it's like, was he right in doing this? Is he the ideal abolitionist by um, giving uh, s- giving slaves, arming slaves in this raid to go after the people that are okay with enslaving them. Now in 2021, it, it was that okay? Uh, and it's just questionable to, and it's a great conversation to think about that. But anyway, it failed. <laughs> it failed <laughs> yeah. terribly um, because soon after he was caught Um, several people died, so it ended up being quite violent. Um, and then future general of the Confederacy, Robert E. Lee and his guys marched from Washington, D.C., marched south to, uh, pretty much be able to arrest Brown and, uh, speedy trial, very speedy trial because Virginia slave state was able to convict him mm-hmm. of treason and he would be sentenced to uh, to execution for his raid. 
So it, it's just quite, it's just so interesting to think about. <laughs> so, uh, and yeah, you've just alluded to it there. That is uh, the end for John Brown. Um, do you have any details about his execution or is it just a, a fairly standard uh, hanging? I think um, one thing that I, I always love to show students is there's a particular painting and I, I'd be happy to send you this painting to include with the link if you, if if because I think I really would love to give listeners the visual. There's this one painting that I associate with his execution of him being let out to the gallows by officers and surrounding him are uh, slaves. And one particular woman holds up her, holds up her baby to Brown for him to hug. And it is such a powerful picture and such a way to depict Brown that tells such a story about how that one woman and her child felt about Brown and saw him as this heroic martyr um, figure that is being sent to death for for them, pretty much, more or less. So that is something that I mainly associate with the day of his execution, is that painting. That painting in itself can be multiple conversations. Well, I mean, I suppose... uh that mother and baby probably spoke for thousands, if not millions of people uh, on John Brown. We'll definitely make sure that that picture, if you send it to me, uh, will be on Twitter. And I might even try and make that the, if I can figure out how, I'm not so good with tech, uh, but uh, <laughs> I'll f- see if I can figure out to make that the um, the cover for this uh, particular podcast episode. Wonderful. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So John Brown, he's He's dead by the end of 1859, unfortunately, or or fortunately, as some people saw it. Um, The following year, of course, Abraham Lincoln is elected president. And um, and then, you know, that that very much speeds up the slide towards civil war. I wonder if you could just talk about John Brown in the context of the build up to the American Civil War. And I wonder, well, this is all theoretical, of course, but... If he had been alive for another couple of years, what would he have seen his role in the American Civil War as being? I love questions like that. Uh, theoretical questions. I love posing those types of questions to my students just to see what they got out of it. And those hypotheticals. What if this person lived? What if this person didn't live during this time? How would things have played out differently? Um, and what role would he have had with with Lincoln if he lived on a few, even a few years uh, longer? Uh, it's just so interesting to think about how that would have affected the country. But I do know his death and his execution did separate the North and South even further, uh, as, as, as well as all the other pieces of legislation, pro-slavery legislation that had been passed in the 1850s, like the Fugitive Slave Act um, and the Dred Scott decision a few years before that. So much was brewing. So um, I, don't, I don't know. It, it's just so, so interesting to think about. But I do know his death did just further the country more part. And then once Lincoln was elected... It was kind of a sealed deal for the South and yeah. secede, secession. 
Yeah, there's there's a there's a brilliant phrase that I really like about the American Civil War. It's uh, that people who don't know so much about it think it's about slavery. People who think they know a lot about it think it's about something else. Mm-hmm. And people who do know a lot about it know it's about slavery. So uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, it's so interesting you said that. If I may, like the people that say it wasn't really about slavery; it was about states' rights. Yes, but <laughs> states' rights for what? To keep slaves. For slavery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just interesting, and I've never heard of that quote. It's so interesting to hear that. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, I can't. I can't you know, I can't for the life of me remember where I heard it, but I, I always just really like that quote. Um, and I think it says it all really. And uh, John Brown definitely has a part in that. Like you're saying, uh, it only serves to further divide the country, his death. Um, now, sort of related to that, the final question uh, for you about John Brown is, what is his legacy? And I suppose further than that, the theme of the piece you wrote for the blog was asking whether he was a martyr or a terrorist. So um, I put it to you, Donna. What do you think? Is he martyr or terrorist? So one of the greatest things about being a social studies teacher is being able to defend both sides. Now, one thing that that I am quite uh, masterful at is giving you an answer without taking a side. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I like a to politician po- of you yet. Donna. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I like to pose the questions and and give the facts. Um, but I try not to I try not to give my wholehearted definitive, like you said before, black and white opinion, because it is very gray. And I find those controversial topics make the best lesson plans. I feel Mm, like they make the best conversations, uh, the best articles. So I can argue here for days why John Brown was a martyr and how his death, um, yes, did unfortunately lead the country to civil war, but all in all also led to the abolition of slavery several years later. I could also sit here for days and argue the complete opposite on how his intentions were all well and good, but the means by which he did it were very violent and resulted in deaths of many innocent people. So it was he a militant abolitionist? Yes, he was. But was it okay to be a militant abolitionist because he fought for the end of slavery? Maybe. Um, so it, it's just very gray. Mm. And um, again... It can be argued for both sides. Well, uh, I mean, I guess the audience can make their own minds up. Um, Exactly. Like you say, it could be a grey area. (laughs) But what's not a grey area is Mm -hmm. that uh, the phrase, the ends justify the means, is definitely something that John Brown lived by. Um, Okay, well, that was brilliant. Uh, I'm sure the audience are thrilled to have learned some more about John Brown. Um, Just before you go, though, Donna, Could you tell us how people can reach you, how they can find you on Twitter and uh, any work you've produced? Sure. Um, um, I can be found on Twitter at uh, Miss Catapano. It's Miss, M-S underscore Catapano, um, C-A-T-A-P-A-N-O. I'm up. I'm on Twitter quite often. I post a lot of my work, some things I'm for the teacher, your listeners that are teachers. I post a lot that I'm doing with my students. Um, And I... This has been great because I have produced other works, other articles, and um, it was just nice to talk about 
the history itself and have teachers and listeners make, like you said, make their own um, decisions about Brown and decisions about Bick that is not black and white in any way. And I just, my message, I think, in talking about this is to always look at the source. Um, when you hear something even now on the news or on the internet, where are you hearing it from? What is the source? How credible is the source? And uh, just to do more digging, I guess, is my message. Well, <laughs> that will be the message that the audience go away with. Um, yes. I will make sure to put your Twitter handle in the description of this podcast. Um, but for now, Donna, thanks very much for coming on. Thank you so much, Tom. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Donna. Thanks, Donna.